In the summer of 2022, two podcasters reaching what they believed was the end of their journey through the Amityville film series, Journey to Texas, who will survive, and what will be happening in Amityville when they return. Welcome back to the Amityville Horror Podcast. I'm Tom. I'm Pat. And this week we're going to be going back to Texas for the remake of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre from Platinum Dunes. Yeah, and this is a, this is, this one's weird. This is the tail wagging the dog. Like we've been looking at these movies as the uh, like the time the the time capsule. What was big? What was popular in horror at the time, as reflected by the Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies, which come out on average every five to eight years, if not longer, in between. So mm-hmm. it's not like all the same thing. It's just the the flavors of the movies change. This is the trendsetter. Well, so was the first one, and arguably the second. True, but whereas uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like, it's hard to find direct. You know, there's like the influence by, but like, you know, oh, they some people are trying to make another Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. Okay. This is not only the first Platinum Dunes movie. Right. Period. It. I, I had to double check and go through all of them. This is the first. Let's just remake it with the pretty television people. Who gives a fuck? Mm. Which, okay... It's the first Platinum Dunes, yeah. but uh, I was looking at recent years in 2002, yeah. um, we had Ghost Ship, which was the first original concept Dark Castle movie, well, yeah. because Dark Castle had been Pretty People remakes. Yes, but not like this. Not like this, but it had been Dark Castle was major studio had an imprint mm-hmm. of remaking old horror with yep. new pretty people. This I feel like might be a soft echo of that. It is a soft echo, but why? Like why I would put this different is uh, House of the House uh, House on Haunted Hill, the first Dark Castle movie, and arguably the best one. Yeah, uh, Thirteen Ghosts is a lot of fun. Though. We love Thirteen Ghosts. Ghost Ship. Yeah. We like that one scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's basically it. Also, it gave us Emily Browning. True, she's a little girl in that one. Okay, yeah. Uh, I remember watching that movie, and or no, it wasn't that one. It was when she popped up in Lemony Snicket and just had that horrible, horrible thought that only really scumbaggy guys can have. She's gonna be really hot when she's an adult. Ah, she's not hot now. Or this is no, 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 no. But Mm. you can see, man. When you hit 20 years old, it's going to be great. But anyway, uh, the House on Haunted Hill, that had all real actors. Yeah. Like, even Allie Larder was still something of a real actor at the time. Whereas, like, or, like, movie actors. Like, all these, like, these, these ones start with having who is available on the, uh, the CW backlog to also film a horror movie at the same time. Gotcha. Because we had a whole bunch of them. Like, I couldn't believe it. I had assumed that, at minimum, the Fog remake or the House of Wax remake was before. Thereafter. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, like, I, that, that was pleasantly surprised by that. Or not pleasantly. It's just like, huh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre did it first. It was... Yeah, or, yeah, in a fashion. Like, Dude, like, you can't, like, uh, there's also a question of quality. Like, the house on Haunted Hill is actually terrifying. 
like when you right. watch it. Whereas but these things are not. These are they're not, but they they intended to be. Um, sure. I'm just saying, it's a part of the, it's a part of the remake uh, run that had started. I feel like with. The uh, with the Dark Castle stuff, mm-hmm. but either way, they pumped the most money into it and grabbed the biggest franchises. They weren't just going back and pulling like catalog titles that aren't precious to anyone. Mm-hmm. They were they were picking top name, top tier. We're gonna redo. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. We're going to redo Friday the 13th. We're going to redo Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. Um, they were going after... And the Amityville Horror. And the Amityville mm-hmm. Horror. And um, the, the Hills Have Eyes. Yes. Those are the big five of theirs. But, like, Hills Have Eyes, not as precious to a lot of folks. And Amityville Horror, not as precious. And there had been multiples, but the big, like, the other three. Yeah. Also, the Hitcher. They did the Hitcher as well. Oh, my God. That's right. That's right. See, why why I would resist putting it with the House on Haunted Hill is I view that more of the really, like, the last gasp of the really high-end 80s horror remakes. The, we're going to pair the right director with the right script at the right time, and we're going to make a classic horror movie. Like, your John Carpenter's The Thing, Cronenberg's The Fly, uh, uh, Chuck Russell's The Blob. Okay. House on Haunted Hill versus the, anything involved with Michael Bay is just a naked cash grab that is empty and hollow inside. Yeah, I've um, definitely, you know... I've uh, heard good things about the Hills Have Eyes remake, but I've oh, never gotten around. I honestly like it better than the original. No, that's not, and, that's not difficult. And the sequel to the remake um, is vastly better than the original sequel to Hills Have Eyes. The original mm-hmm. Hills Have Eyes 2, there's, there's a couple interesting ideas, but not a good movie. Gotcha. The sequel to the remake is an actual interesting idea and um, and Wes Craven helped write it. Now, did they set up the for the Mind Ripper to show up in a, you know, a third one, if it ever happened? Yeah, not really. <laughs> I love not how so that one... Like, Wes Craven presents Mind Ripper in certain markets is The Hills Have Eyes 3. Yeah. Which is... That that's like Italian horror movie level uh, re, uh, repackaging. Yeah. For like, horror oh, it's got a shark. We're calling it Jaws Five. Yeah. Well, it's fine. Cool Jaws. It's or, fine. Yeah. It's fine. But yeah, the, but it really does seem like 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 the the My Bloody Valentine does not happen without this movie. No, this definitely kicked the door wide open for same with the car- the uh, the great Chloe Grace Moretz Carrie remake, which funnily mm-hmm. enough, like the uh, I believe the TV Carrie happened. This, TV uh, Carrie happened in two thousand two, but okay. yeah, um, yeah, two thousand two. Before this, you had some. You had some filmmakers jumping in, like Danny Boyle did 28 Days Later. You had Guillermo del Toro with Blade 2. Blade 2. Bubba Hota. Don Cascarelli. Yeah, Cabin Fever broke out Eli Roth onto the scene. So a lot is happening in horror and a lot of interesting, like, new voices are popping up. And also Neil Marshall's uh, Dog Soldiers uh, breaking him out into the scene. Ugh, Halloween Resurrection. Yeah, I'm not saying it was all good. No, May. 
man, I thought really thought Lucky McKee and Angela Bettis were going to make a bigger, you know, have a more lasting career. Yeah. In the horror. I like May. Oh, so do I. But, yeah, it didn't take off. Um, 2002 was the launch of the Resident Evil series. Yes, it was. Um, Gore Verbinski's uh, remake of The Ring. Mm-hmm. So, there were... Uh, so a decent amount of remakes and a decent amount of debuts by folks that would start becoming important. Did but it was a weird, quiet time, I'd say. It was yeah. stuff starting to sprout, like horror... I mean, it, contextually, we're only a little bit away from 9-11, and mm. people, I don't know, people were hesitant to go yeah. for scares, go for thrills. Things were still very sensitive culturally. Yeah. And a lot of these, you know, a lot of these horror movies are supernatural things. I mean, the horror tends towards supernatural, but it's a lot of zombies don't trust the government. Mm-hmm. Um, the torture porn was on the like on the horizon. It was on the horizon, but it wasn't yeah. there yet. Uh, yeah. Eli oh, Roth no. basically really helped make that happen. Yes. But I torture- use the term, but I hate the term, and I don't agree with the term. Understood, yeah. but we all know what yeah. that means. Shorthand. So colloquially, shorthand. But yeah, I think torture porn didn't really start hitting until honestly we were a little bit more comfortable post 9-11 and but feeling shitty and wanting to feel feeling shitty but like watching enough 24 where they're doing basically (laughs) torture porn kind of stuff Uh. on network television and it opened up the idea of maybe we just want to see other people hurt yeah like it's not you're not watching horror anymore for I want to be scared and I want to side with whoever mm-hmm. or I'm watching this for a thrill ride and the characters are meaningless like there is a mean streak that starts around this time accurate yeah where you not only are there for the villains but you just want to see the good guys get taken out as a collective audience like mm-hmm. not my thing never into you know the how much can we hurt the good guys yeah oh no I like I always tell people one of the selling points of horror is uh, it's kind of nice to watch somebody have a worse day than you're having yeah. but uh, but the, uh, the the levels to which the next few years would push the it's not it was always enough to just kill the person mm-hmm. for me now we have to like really like peel their toenails off and everything parallel to this in comedy you have stuff like uh, meet the parents slash meet the fuckers slash (sighs) you want to talk about torture porn but that's what I'm saying (laughs) there are movies where the entire point is the lead is just being abused the entire movie yes they're just you're you're going for two hours to watch people get shit on and have a terrible time have a worse Mm -hmm. time than you yep and it's not entertaining to me uh, no, at all. No, I always like I always liked how Ben Stiller movies you can file them under two different categories: one where poop is falling on his head, and the other where he's doing a silly voice. Hmm. He's right. rarely doing this both at the same time. Yeah. Come up and says aside. Yeah, and I think like silly voice. Luckily, usually is him being the villain which I think he's great at yeah so like dodgeball heavyweights arguably mm-hmm. the same character um I've never the heavyweights is that the Ryan Reynolds movie what, no, it's not, what's no. the one no I'm thinking of it. heavyweights is the weight loss camp 
Nah. So I, I don't think it was Nickelodeon produced, but it was close title. to it. And was uh, Judd Apatow one of his early scripts? Yeah. Um, it's a it's a fun movie. Definitely yeah, worth checking. Yeah. But but you also like I also like that like like Zoolander and Tropic Thunder. He is doing a silly voice in them. Yeah. But not the bad guy. Yeah. Right. But, but not yeah. the bad guy. But, but it's but it's better. When but he's the a bad bit guy. of an asshole. Oh, he's not. It. He's not the likable schlub to put upon. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's like normal person, not normal person. Yeah. Him as normal person put upon schlub he reacts well and stuff like something about mary is hysterical yeah it is but something about mary isn't nearly as mean-spirited as stuff no. like meet the parents and the, they just that anyway goes on forever it really does and so I mean, yeah early more. 2000s we just we got a lot of watching people suffer indeed but do we count the Final Destination? The Final Destinations don't, aren't really suffering movies, are they? Um, they get, they're they're elaborately. They're like, elaborate, they elaborate movies, but, and it is. But that, but it's usually quick. It's like, usually quick, but gruesome. Like, death is being cruel. Yes. And especially, like, death is being extra cruel to everyone witnessing it. Yeah. Like, in the first one, you have a couple deaths that are... Not near anybody else, but they, <laughs> the aftermath is still visible. <laughs> and then there's the bus. <laughs> yeah. Like, as they go along, it just gets more and more that death is showing off how mean it can get. Yeah. Um, I'd say it actually does fall into that spirit. I think they're better so, done than some of the other stuff, but like, they I'll, are I'll definitely... That. Yeah, they're... We're watching the movie to watch the the good guys suffer. Yeah. Like, it just, because, uh, like, most of them, I think, fall under, like, we have a very esoteric slasher movie. Mm-hmm. But, uh, like, in number three, the tanning bed scene. It's, where it's just, just like, cool. what? They, and they were nothing characters. It's like, yeah. what? Like, yeah, they're just, they're just bimbos. It's just like, mm-hmm. they're high school bimbos. We, we were all friends with them. They're fine. They're, they grew up, and they turned into better people, hopefully. But, yeah. Jesus. Yeah. But this yeah, there's no not. moral judgment on the Final Destination characters. They're yeah. just everybody's gonna die horribly. Yeah. <laughs> it's all the, but 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 prior to that, really taking over, we get the first Platinum Dunes, silly remake starring uh, Jessica Biel uh, and uh, uh, Eric Balfour from our television mm-hmm. shows. Um, Eric Balfour, you may remember from that first episode of Buffy. They were originally going to put him in the opening titles just because they knew he died in that episode. He was the ex he was the other friend of Willow and Sander. And yeah, Jocelyn wanted to put him in the opening credits so that when he dies in the first episode, it sets the premise of, oh yeah, nobody's, you know, safe on this show. But apparently it was too expensive to redo the credits that way at the time. So They ended up doing a gag like that later. Like they did. The, the Jonathan episode where... The Jonathan episode all, and then the Tara episode. Like, he kept that idea in his yeah. pocket. Oh, good for so, him. Yeah. But also, uh, Jonathan Tucker, he was more of a t- movie child star. Right. 
you'll know him when you see him. He's kind yeah. of a string bean. He, he, I always remember him because he's one of the four kid versions of the guys in Sleepers. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I think he grow. I think his analog grows up to be Billy Crudup. Gotcha. <laughs> um, but uh, also, Arlie Ermy mm-hmm. is uh, playing a our, our sheriff character. We'll see about what that turns out to be. He's Lauren arguably German. the biggest name. Like Jessica Biel was definitely yeah. the biggest young name. Yeah. But Arlie Ermy probably had the most notable credits to his career at this point. Which is not saying anything good about the movie. Not necessarily. But um, from my memory of this, he is a scene stealer. He's oh, definitely, yeah. yeah. Oh, he's going to act ring around just about everybody here, except maybe uh, playing uh, Leatherface, who is credited as uh, to- the name, the, the character is credited as Thomas Hewitt. Because uh, we're, we're, we're back to the. We, we'd had the Hewitt name before. Their name was Hewitt in the first one. Yeah. The second one, they it went under an sword. assumed name because they were on the run. Sure, they were, sure. They were, yeah, they were operating under the name yeah. Sawyer. Yeah. The third one didn't seem to understand his pseudonym. Yeah. Or so they just said, oh, the name was Sawyer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Went that. yeah, and then and the next generation... Well, that didn't know whether it was coming or going. Yeah. But, yeah, Thomas Hewitt is played by Andrew Briniarski, who we love. Okay. Not familiar. Oh. Well, the thing that most people will remember him from, you know, in terms of seeing his face and hearing his voice, is Batman Returns, in which he plays the son of Christopher Walken and balls on this bodybuilder uh, from Philadelphia had the guts to do a Christopher Walken impression to him. Like, you remember? He's the, Dad, no, go, save yourself. That's Andrew Biniarski. Okay. But right. for for our purposes and why you're gonna like your eyes are gonna bug out and you're gonna feel like shit for the rest of the night, he's Butterfinger in Hudson Hawk. Oh, nice. Alright. I wanted to see the shame face. It's why? I mean, I see, now you're torturing I love, me. Now I love Hudson me. Hawk, but that's if I'm getting well, excited about you know the henchman, I would be more excited when David Caruso pops up, and I just cannot master that's that. The thing. In Hudson Hawk, yes, but David Caruso popping up in other stuff has probably tempered my expectations of the alumni. Uh, I'm just saying. I got your stamps, Mister 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 Hawk. <laughs> Here, Butterfinger, read your book. Not in a house, not with a mouse, <laughs> to yourself, Butterfinger. Hey, Coach, I think those Mayflowers are planning on uh, back, uh, back uh, or uh, double crossing us. <laughs> but he also played uh, Lobo in the uh, fan film Lobo's Paramilitary Christmas. Oh, wow. Which, that is perfect casting. Okay. And apparently got into a little trouble being shitty on Facebook in reference to uh, Gunnar Hansen dying. Uh, According to the Wikipedia, the morning after news broke that Gunnar Hansen, the original Leatherface, had died on November 18th, 2015, Briniarski responded by saying, boo-hoo on Facebook. Well, this is a. I'm glad I wasn't excited about him then because that's pretty shitty. As it turns out, like the uh, you can read the article on Wikipedia, folks at home. But apparently, uh, Braniarski later defended it, saying that Gunnar Hansen was talking shit about him uh, a couple prior to that, and so it was you know back and forth. 
Okay, even still. Oh, like, if true. you're having a rivalry, it's still yeah. shitty when he passes away. And Gunner is Gunner was amazingly sweet and kind. That's what so. I, that, that is what I had always heard as well. Yeah. So, again, cannot understate Bernierski is from Philadelphia, and we have a certain way of, do, of responding to things. Yeah. But also, uh, Lauren German of Lucifer fame is okay. in this one, and we have the return of John Laroquette as our narrator. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. This Night, one. Who's uh, now returning to the role of Dan Fielding in a Night Court reboot. Indeed. So, always good to see him get back to. Damn, this the, director. The classics. And this is Marcus Nispel, right? Yeah, who is not that impressive a guy, all things considered. Yeah, did, um. Did a Fran- like some goofy ass Frankenstein serial killer movie. Pathfinder, which wasn't that based on a video game? Uh, no, no. but um, shares a name with the D and D open source, like basically D and D three point five. When they abandoned that, Pathfinder sort of took it on and was like, "Oh, we'll continue to do new modules in that format, just not under the license name because they didn't own the rights." So Pathfinder is. If you like D and D three point five rule set, that was your way to be able to continue getting stuff for that. Fucking nerds. Uh, then he came back to do the Friday the Thirteenth remake, and then the Conan the Barbarian. Do we call that a remake? I don't think it was a remake. I, I think, think it was just a Conan. Yeah, movie. a new Conan movie using the original title. But yeah, but also the writer uh, Scott Kosar. Oh, he wrote the Amityville Horror remake. And also The Machinist, Hmm. which is almost a good story. Have you ever seen The Machinist? No. It has an annoying twist. Fair. Well, um, so that's where we are in horror in 2003 when this came out. That's its context. Mm -hmm. So, want to just dive in? I mean, you know, I'm always ready to watch a horror movie. All right. Well, we'll see you in a minute. It was soulless. Yeah. It was, I guess, what we were expecting out of Michael Bay. Yeah. Trying to gloss up a franchise under his own tutelage or whatnot. You can't even, like, get, like, I'm not even angry angry you know it's just like you can't get there's no investment in the thing to even be angry that's like ah you screw this like you made this is just like a widget yeah in the shape you made you made the advertising department's version of a horror movie yes yes these are all all the ingredients are there so this is what you want right you like it right Mm -hmm. right we have tested, 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 and these are the things people like, and these are the things that work in movies. So here's all of that on the framework of the storyline loosely of the first movie. Yeah. A van with teenagers or college students or whatnot yeah. um, who were introduced to them at a lake 
on the tire swing. I guess that was them? Yeah, that was them. Um, Like, there was no close-ups of any of them, so it's like, I just thought, is this just like Slice of Life in Texas? That was just a day of shooting for them. Cool. Um, And then they're in the van, and then things go wrong like the first movie, and we've already covered the plot of that one. If you're just jumping in on the fifth episode of this... uh, Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for listening. But we're not going to recap the plot of the first one. I mean, no. Yeah, we'll just go to the differences. Well, so we have our uh, we have this uh, found footage bookend. Mm-hmm. Like, well, first, first we get the the return of John Larroquette, who is uh, this time around is not no longer doing the Orson Welles impression. Yeah, he was just Larroquetting. It's just Larroquetting, and uh, it's uh, dubbed over this found foot or the uh, not found. We, we, it's, it's supposed it's, to be like 16 millimeter film yeah. of the crime scene and wandering around the crime scene, exploring um, Chekhov's fingernails. Yep, uh, foreshadowing things that we'll see later in the film. Mm-hmm. And then you see like 16 millimeter footage around the house, and then you see footage of police tape and crime scene evidence. And that shrill and noise. And the shrill noise of a camera flash. Yeah. Uh, while we're watching this video footage, uh-huh. so that's already wrong. Um, and yes, some of the footage cuts to clean footage, modern, and back and forth between like here are the file cabinets in you know high def. 35 millimeter. Well, it is it, yeah. mixed with those fu- those file cabinets being opened and we're seeing evidence. It's mm-hmm. it, it just it's, it's insulting to continuity and concept. Well, uh, the the narrator does make reference to the fact that we are learning like this. Whatever it is at the beginning is them talking about the crime 30 years after the fact. Right. So that, just, that, that could account for the more modern thing, but it's jarring and poorly done. It's jarring and not fall through because you are, A, mixing between modern and retro footage. Mm-hmm. But in the retro footage, there are insert shots that would not be a part of documenting that crime scene. No. They're framed like the modern footage stuff, just with the filter on it or not arbitrarily oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. decided yeah. in there. It's like, this is a very poor documentary. Yeah. This would be if Ken Burns did a documentary about, say, the Spice Girls and made all of the pictures, or made about three quarters of the pictures sapia toned and like changed the frame rate here and there. Um, and then just had other footage that was modern. Yeah. Like, I don't understand why you made that choice some of the time and didn't commit to any of it. Yep. Yeah. Which, another good little metaphor for this movie. Oh, completely. So we're introduced to Aaron, Kemper, Pepper, Morgan, and Andy. Uh, all factory model, like just H&M models. Yeah. You know, mannequins. They, yeah. uh, like, the costuming was annoying because they're all in like retro 70s clothes there it's not like you went to the thrift they went to the thrift store and bought the things they have the gaps like updated version of like the inspired by 
the right. 70s look. And so yeah. none of them look comfortable in the clothes. None of them really look right in the clothes. And it's all throughout the movie. Yeah. Um, the air quote geek guy, uh, because he has glasses. Morgan. Yeah. He has glasses. Um, he has glasses and he's wearing the New York shirt that John Lennon made famous in a lot of those posters. Oh, God. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Which is a little anachronistic, I think, but... Oh, were those pictures in the 80s? Uh, I don't think they were... They might have been before 73, but even still, that poster wasn't popular by the... Ah, who knows? I don't know. I'm complaining. I'm uh, nitpicking. But they definitely were trying to reference that look for him. Gotcha, gotcha, Through the glasses and the New York shirt. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, Kemper had his name on his shirt, um, embroidered patch, but also wore a baseball hat with a K on it in case you were confused. Yeah. He was very easy to identify by all of his names labeling all over himself. It, it, you know, may, maybe he has the, uh, you know, the short-term memory thing, like yeah. from Memento. Or he's a time traveler, and it's a Calvin Klein situation where they just call him uh, Kepper because he's wearing clothes with a name on it, and he's just sticking with it. God, that would be the most boring time travel story. Oh, This yeah. guy traveling yeah. through time and getting murdered. Um, but then it's also so like where's the original one they were uh, we have like Franklin and Sally were brother and sister and Sally has her boyfriend and then they have two other people another couple that are they're all clearly friends and know each other Mm -hmm. and in this one you kind of don't know why any of anybody knows anybody like Aaron and Kemper thing because you know they have their very obligatory expository arguments about being together for three years but we're not married yeah pretty much exactly like that how long have we been brothers as you yeah exactly but like uh andy and pepper are just short of having sex in the back seat and they reference that they picked up pepper as a hitchhiker on this trip morgan is just there uh they are not trying to go for a franklin analog there's no annoying guy in a wheelchair which the movie is the lesser for it because like morgan is trying to be just as annoying as franklin was seemingly naturally yeah um but it gets weird because like you just like it wasn't it wasn't much, uh, it wasn't really an issue that the relationships weren't the most clearly defined because well when they all got along and they were just you know things were happening all of a sudden yeah. and we and, didn't have to have like ridiculous dialogue and their dialogue was about the situation they were in they were reacting to things going on whereas in this one they were just bouncing exposition off of each other here and there, or saying the most generic take of a line, the placeholder dialogue of, I'm too high for this. Oh, let's, you know, like... Did that just happen? Yeah. Oh my god, I can't believe that. You need to calm down. (laughs) Alright, yes, all of this dialogue is very original. Good, good on you. So they're not friends. They're specifically going to a Skinnerd concert, having uh, come back to the States from Mexico uh, for a uh, big pot deal. Yeah, um, which our, our lead does not know about. Um, Aaron does not. Aaron does not know about it, but um, she's completely surprised that they have a pinata with two pounds of pot in it. Yeah. Is that why we went to Mexico? Like, I don't know how long you were in Mexico, but 
it was I'm part sure of it. there was probably discussion about getting to the border and all. Yeah. Like, if you were completely unaware of this deal going down, that's a red flag. I don't care. Giant red flag. I don't care if you've been with them for three years. It's like, well, now we have to reconsider. You know, mm-hmm. the future, because you're doing drug deals behind my back? Yeah. Like, literally behind my back? Mm-hmm. And it, does the hitchhiker know, or does Pepper know or not? Or Pepper like, seemed they, to know. Mm-hmm. Pepper seemed to know. So, Pep, that means they picked up a hitchhiker, crossed the border, yeah. bought two pounds of pot, came back. Yes. And Pepper, the hitchhiker, knew. Yeah. And Aaron and I. Okay, that's that's. It's, it's, it's that makes perfect out. sense. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. It's great. By the way, um, found footage opening. Uh, Pepper is the second Blair Witch reference in the film because she was in Blair Witch Two, as you pointed out. Yes, she's. Uh, I forget what character she plays. Um, she was the one that like secretly had the witch, the actual witchiness to her. Ah. Oh, she was the one causing all the things. Uh, If you go with that interpretation. If you go with that interpretation, she was the one most connected to the actual witchcraft. (laughs) Rather, like, she's the one who, I think, woke up amid, like, the videotape and all that. Uh Yeah. But we're all in agreement that they all just got high as fuck and went nuts in the woods, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, So, they're driving along... When they almost run over this uh, poor, sickly uh, uh, teenage woman, played by Lauren German, Mm -hmm. who would later go on to uh, Lucifer, but uh, more directly after this, Hostel Part 2. Yeah. And uh, she doesn't want them to go in the direction that they're going, because bad things await them there. And as a result, she pulls... A revolver out of the one place that she could hide the revolver without anybody knowing where it was, if you know what I mean, and I think you do, and then shoots herself in the face. And we get a lot of shots going through the bullet hole in her skull. Yeah. Initially, like, right off the bat, she shoots herself and you see reaction from the two in the front seat. Then it pulls back, and you see the two in the next seat. And as it keeps pulling back, we pull through the bullet hole, and then through the bullet hole in the back glass of the van, and out the van, and, you know, that's bold, elaborate It's a fun shot. shot. It is right. a fun shot for a horror movie. And immediately reminds you that this is not the first movie. Because that kind of complicated, layered, gory, you know, showmanship shot, Mm -hmm. it's not really about being scary. It's about showing off camera skills. Yeah. Which, again, this was his first movie. Yeah. But, yeah, it's... Bold setup for a shot that completely takes you out of it being a movie and so like, oh no, this is we're watching a movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It it does everything that the first movie it undoes everything the first movie was yeah. able to do. It's so, going in the yeah. opposite direction, yeah. but not in a fun, interesting way. Yeah, this is movie music video take, or like I said, commercial take. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the Oof. And they do, by the way, they do, as you mentioned, use that gag of we're going to pull back through at least the bullet hole in the van. Yeah. They do it a couple more times. They do it a couple more times, and they're not shy about just doing, like, big 
pointless close-ups of the hole in the rear window of yeah. the car because you know we may have forgotten that mm. the girl blew her brains out it's catching a light nice and we don't want people to forget that we made this effect yeah yeah we worked hard on this class so everybody freaks out the uh, Kemper overreacts in terms of what to do with the weed because like you know obviously you got to bring the car into a a police station or someplace to you know deliver the dead body and explain what happened you don't have to throw the weed away buddy you Mm -hmm. you can just bury it somewhere you can like find a hidey hole somewhere chucks it out into a field into a field for cows to eat yeah cows are gonna have a fun night Mm -hmm. ooh CBD milk oh Ooh, they have to have that. That's got to be a thing now. Yeah, like Milanco yeah. Plus. Yeah. I think it pairs very well with tobacco. Ooh, tobacco. Uh, that goat. <laughs> that farm animals, uh, animal, <laughs> animals got into the tobacco. God. What an episode. It's so good. Um, <clears throat> but so uh, they, they go to the nearest gas station run by a horrible, horrible person. Which, uh, spoiler alert, all these people are part of the extended Hewitt family Mm -hmm. in this one 10-mile radius. Yeah. Everybody's in on it. Don't suspect anything otherwise, because why would you suspect anything? There's no twists here. There's no no twists. twists. Everything is laid bare for you. Everything is set up very specifically to make sure you understand it when it happens. Yeah. Um... But not in like a tongue in cheek, not in like a winky, like let's play let's yeah. play with it. Like in part two, when uh you have uh the the, the road race bit where mm-hmm. uh the, the Sawyers go after the frat guys where it's just like this other thing pops out of the truck the truck with a chainsaw and you're like, God, that's not Leatherface? Like it's this weird corpse thing? What the hell is going on? Yeah. And then it almost immediately it's revealed, oh, Leatherface is in an elaborate disguise because this would just be even more ridiculous of a situation to be in. Exactly. There's a difference between watching a movie and saying, what's next? Like, holy shit, what's next? Like, I didn't expect that. And what's next? Because you have a checklist. Uh-huh. Of, oh, they mentioned that, so that's going to come up. And, oh, here's a gas station. They're all in on it. We're going to pretend like we don't know that for three minutes. Um, this movie, most of the suspension of disbelief is pretending you don't know every trope. God, it really is. But so they're told to go that the sheriff doesn't have time to make it out there and that they need to go to the old Crawford Mill. Longer at the old mill? Let's get some cider. Yeah, I love cider. Mm. Um... But so they go out there, they wait for a bit, and uh, oddly enough, nobody shows up until this horrific boy appears out of nowhere. Yeah. Well, initially, the air quote out of nowhere is a shadow of the boy passes in front yeah. of the camera, uh, and you get the loud noise that a person walking in front of a camera makes in real life. Or, yeah. Okay, which is more ridiculous, annoying, and persistent in movies? The uh, somebody wa- the noise of somebody walking in front of the camera, mm-hmm. or 
whenever a sword is pulled out of its sheath, it just it, no, not oh. that. Is when you're hold, when when they're just holding the sword or waving the sword around. There's that tinkle noise, yeah. as if the thing is loose. Right, as if the light is like this is a very poorly made sword. If the ha- if the handle and the blade are making this sort of interacting noise, yeah, when you're just you know holding a sword. No, the shing. We love the shing. You know, this is half, the shing, the the shing half, is half of the reason the we want the sound. Exactly. It's just like, no, that, that, yeah. I'm on board for that. Yeah. But the like little tinkle, 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 yeah. like he's not doing anything with the sword. He's not touching anything. I, while that bugs me, the walking in front of a camera, like, uh-huh. loud sting. The loud sting gets the audience to jump. The walking in front of the camera does not. No. And it's literally just an instinct reaction. You're not scaring anyone. This is why the jump scare is uh, looked down upon and or reviled, because it's the cheapest thing, and it adds nothing to your film. Unless it's in the thing, where, Mm -hmm. you know, the thing is perfect, but they do have a noticeable one. The thing earns its jump scares with atmosphere. That's true. It builds such an environment of nothing is happening until it does, Mm -hmm. but a movie that's fast cut edited like this, Mm -hmm. the the difference between a jump scare and not a jump scare is just what's in frame and how loud you make a sound effect that doesn't connect to it. Yeah, can we just jump to Leatherface's entrance since we're on this Yeah, might as well. Yep. So they they end up going... A perfect opportunity for a jump scare. There you go. So they end up going between, like, the Crawford Mill and this other farmhouse because the the thing that walked in front of the camera was a small boy played by David Dorfman of of, uh, the American version of The Ring, but with, like, really messed up teeth, so he oddly looks cuter now uh, with the teeth. Yeah. (laughs) Just me being mean. Um, So they're told this other place has a phone and so Aaron and Kemper go over there. Uh, They're greeted by a a double amputee in a wheelchair with a colostomy bag that we will get to know in a lot more graphic detail later. Mm. Aaron is allowed in to use the phone. Kemper is told to wait outside. Um... And then minor shenanigans with that. But then uh, Kemper gets into the building looking for Aaron. Where is it? Like, Aaron is somewhere else. Aaron is helping with the colostomy bag. Right? Aaron's helping with the colostomy bag. That's right. That's right. She's upstairs yeah. with the, with the, the colostomy bag. Or no, yeah. he can't. They can't be upstairs. The bathroom. But yeah, yeah. She, they, the, the guy in the wheelchair has at some point teleported to the bathroom and is emptying his colostomy bag. But he needs help out of off the floor back into his chair, which is tipped over outside the room. Um, yeah, because why not? Sense. It doesn't make any sense. But so Kemper is looking around for Aaron in the house, and then, like, it's the most poorly cut thing in the whole movie, which is saying something, but it's like, it cuts to the reverse angle on Kemper, and Leatherface is just, he just kind of sidles into frame, thumps him with the hammer, and before you can even register what is happening, we're already dragging Kemper into the room, and then... Very, like, weak sauce shoving the metal door shut. Yeah. And you say, like, before we know what's happening, in the original, it's a before we know what's happening, door open, slam, door closed, what just happened? This takes long enough that you're like, oh, wait, are we doing that? Yeah. Really? We're doing this? Okay, well, 
sure, I guess that's a way. The original gives the whole moment time to breathe and the audience to really just, like, they're mm-hmm. not prepared for anything. Like, in this one, you know it's a horror movie at every single step, where it's, yeah. like, it's such a shock. Yeah, but this, one, this one, it takes the if it takes the same amount of time for the sequence, the first one, the actual door open, hit door closed. No, the door the the door had been open. The doorway was I'm just, open. I'm saying for yeah. the sequence of he's there, then Leatherface appears, then the door mm-hmm. like you know hit closed. In the in the original, the actual violence of it, like door open, a door closed. Call that two seconds. Mm. This one takes the entire experience oh, yeah, yeah. and gets rid of all of the quiet time. Mm-hmm. And that quiet time is what made it work. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Yeah. So it's like not even a matter of like speed and efficiency. It's a matter of, well, it is efficiency. It's just. It's poorly edited. Poorly edited, poorly timed, staged. Um, Everything. Yeah. Okay, poorly edited. Just going to dive in on that now for a little chunk because there's plenty of places it could go. Please. Um, This movie, I mean, the editor, I'm sure, had a miserable, miserable job because I get the sense that the actual shooting of this did not involve a ton of storyboards. Mm. If If there were, they probably weren't followed too closely. It was a lot of... Ooh, this would look neat. Ooh, do we have this yet? Ooh, do we have this yet? There's not... It's not shot to enhance a scene. It's shot to look neat right here for a still. Yeah. Um, which, again, you know, Michael Bay produced. It might have been a note from him. Although <laughs> this director... Well, I'm sure he and the director got along on, on visual yeah. aesthetics. <laughs> but, yeah, nothing is shot... For the emotion of the scene, nothing is shot for tension. It's literally just, what's what's the pretty still? Which is the uh, the driving force behind all of Michael Bay's directing. Right. The man does not know how to tell a story. <laughs> and, and he's not interested yeah. in telling a story. Yeah. This but is the thing. when you're doing just the pretty still, that doesn't open you up to a lot of reverse angle to these people. Mm. Doesn't open you to extended sequence on, you know... On whatever, it it makes the editor's job a living nightmare, and it probably made the the script supervisor's job a nightmare too. Of like, okay, do we have her saying this line? Um, yeah, we have seven angles of it. I just thought of another one. Dear God, why? <laughs> like, I get the feeling it was not a lot of fun. Not a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, it's just yeah. So. While Aaron is dealing with all this, the other three, Andy, Morgan, and Pepper, and Jedediah is the name of the young boy, mm-hmm. uh, are waiting back at the van, and Sheriff Arlie Ermy shows up. And for a minute, you do get the feeling that, okay, Arlie's going to save this movie for us. And not even he does. He is the best thing in it. He is the best thing in it. Oh, much. Yeah. Like, he's legitimately intimidating. Yeah. Like, even with those goofy extra eyebrows and the goofy ears. Because mm-hmm. those, those... His those hat's pushed fake. down. I don't know if they're fake ears, but his hat's pushed down to definitely make his ears buckle out. Fair. I think, like, because they're just so perpendicular, I feel like 
if they weren't fake ears, they were doing something to like pin his ears out a bit yeah. more to give him a little silly look. They were definitely jugheading him. Yeah, oh yeah, very much so. But he he comes off as kind of a doofus at the beginning when like he's asking everybody to help him saran wrap the dead body together to yeah. uh, put it in his trunk. Like, is he an insensitive dipshit or is he in on this whole thing? But again, there's no surprises. No, here. he's in on. It just obviously and uh, he leaves with the body and I guess at some point when okay so later in the movie uh, they're trying to get away in the van and both the front tires come off of the van as if the lug nuts had been removed yep when when (laughs) and by who and by whom? It was like... Cause they didn't really... Somebody was by the van the whole time. That's the thing. Like, even if the two guys, Morgan and Andy, are too focused on saran wrapping the dead body, Pepper is there. Yeah. And it's both tires. You're going to notice somebody with a lug wrench just going to town on them. Mm-hmm. Maybe Jedediah was doing it? Again, you but would the, still the, notice Jedediah, the lug wrench. the little kid taking um, like no, five he's not lug getting the leverage off there. each wheel. No, 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 no that's not insane. happening. It's insane. I'm sorry, but it's like, God damn it. Mm. So, Arlie Ermey drives off with the body. Aaron comes running back. There's a lot of back and forth between these two locations. Yeah. Or no, she doesn't come It's the illusion of movement. She comes walking back because she doesn't know, she couldn't find Kemper, but doesn't know that Kemper is missing and or dead yet. Right. Remember, it's like everything happens. Like, she finishes with colostomy, dude. Mm -hmm. Asks around for Kemper. It's like, he ain't in my house. And then she walks back, and, uh, oh, he's not there. Where is he? I thought he was with you. Which is one of the few legitimate bits of dialogue where she's like, mm-hmm. what are you asking us where he is? He, yeah, you guys he, left, he left together. together. Um, and then, um, so they wander a little bit, looking at other cars. They find a jar that has some sort of liquid and a picture of the... I, yeah. The hitchhiker who killed herself. Yeah, I really hope it wasn't urine. I would. That would. It yeah. was probably urine. It was probably urine. It was very. But yellow. they find it in a trunk uh, after. The, uh, there was a Howard dipshit, the nerd, Morgan. Morgan. Um, he he sees a hole in the back of a trunk and he sticks his arm in and he starts screaming in terror. Oh my god! Oh my god! It's got me! It's got me! There are no surprises in this movie. Yeah. Um, oh, he is- was just kidding around. Thanks, Shelly. We hated you the first time. Yeah. Yeah, we did. Mm-hmm. They do have the same hair. Kind of. That's a character we need to just be done with in horror movies. I think by and large we are. I would hope so. Like, even in Cabin in the Woods, the comic relief guy wasn't doing pranks, Ellie's. Right. It's just like, he is not taking things as seriously as the mm-hmm. other people. He is making more jokes than he should be, but he's not, like, actively messing with people. Yeah. If your horror movie has a character who scares you, air, giant air quotes, and he's just kidding around, or you have a shadow make a loud noise in a boring part of the movie... Your movie's fucking bad. Yeah, it's probably not going to be good. It's you're not you're not actually scaring anyone. You're yeah, no. yeah, yeah. It's cotton candy. Ugh. 
at least you could be rock candy, you know. Yeah, rock at least rock fun. candy, you know what the substance is. Yeah. It's not a giant ball of fluff yeah. that amounts to smaller than a lollipop. Uh, so, yeah, so at this point... Since Kemper is not, oh yeah, so they find the thing, and they re- they recognize the girl, and then they like immediately start. At, is this where Aaron starts asking about the baby in the picture? Because we start setting up this yeah, whole baby yeah. rescue the baby subplot, which like, is oh she had a baby. Um, uh, she doesn't put it all together yet, but oh this must be her family or yeah, something like yeah. that. Yeah, and so Andy and Aaron like a uh, bunch of pointless discussion about whether they should just drive away mm-hmm. with that like while missing one of their guys which yeah. that's it's way too early in the movie to be like let's just get out of here it's just like what are you talking about we have a whole another person yeah and who is presumably the person that connects all of us together he was driving he was driving which oddly enough Aaron has the, the van keys yeah it does that's it because um, they needed that to happen in that way yeah Oh, no, you're absolutely right. And it ends up not paying it off, paying off at all, because, like, she loses the keys almost immediately or something. Yeah. And the then, car won't, the car mysteriously won't start. And then Arlie Ermey takes the keys. We're jumping all around. This movie sucks. Yeah. Um, this is like the Amityville days all over again. Yeah, but she did, um, at another point before this, she did pick a padlock mm-hmm. with a small uh, Swiss Army knife she has. Yeah. Um, they drop occasional hints until they just flat out say she was in juvie at some point. Basically, she has a criminal past of some sort. By just saying she was in juvie, that means she knows how to pick a lock with a switchblade, or with a Swiss Army knife. She knows how to hotwire cars. She knows all of the things everybody learns air quote, in juvie. Yep. The most um, racist joke just popped in my head. And we're just yeah, gonna we're going to skip that we're then. Skip that. Nope, nope, nope. Um, so Aaron and Andy go back to the house to try to find Kemper. Uh, Andy is... Aaron is distracting the man in the wheelchair while Andy is uh, ninjing himself into the house and manages to knock over, what, this... 100 pound ice box attachments sitting on this refrigerator. Yeah, and none of it seems to work. The fridge has rotted potatoes inside of it. Everything about this house is disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, meanwhile, Leatherface is down in uh, the perpetually dripping workroom basement. Mm -hmm. There is like buckets of water coming down from the first floor. Yeah. Like, where is the Constant water Constant water running. It's like, it's like the Crow 2, City of Angels, where there's water dripping constantly through every pore of that movie. That's true. Or, um, the, uh, the bat, the like the inner workings of the uh, the John Lithgow aliens in Peckeru Bonsai. Remember, there's just uh, like yep, water yep, yep. everywhere yeah. for no reason. Yeah, the um, red electrodes. The yeah, mm-hmm. red or wait, yeah, the red electrodes were bad. The black, the black electrodes were good. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Um. Yeah. Um. We could have been watching Buckaroo Bonsai. Yeah, we could have been watching Alien or Aliens. Any of the Alien <sighs> movies. They have a lot of decent water drips that's justified. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Steam going on. But the Alien movies aren't set in the middle of the desert 
Yep. With establishing shots of establishing shots of the desert uh-huh. and the open fields around them, except when we're in the woods. You don't really get a lot of basements in the desert. Not a lot of basements, no. no I mean, the Alamo being a prime example. I mean, Adobe. <laughs> There's no basement in the Alamo. Yeah, poor so, but so, yeah, so, um, yeah, so Leatherface is working on uh, Kemper, and we find out that, oh, he did have an engagement ring the entire time, and mm-hmm. was probably saving it for, you know, the middle of Sweet Home Alabama at yeah. the Skinner Council. He's going to break out a pound of weed, split it with a freight, you mean, know. Obviously, obviously. And then, yeah. Oh, so he's dead. <laughs> You don't even see, like, he gets hit in the hammer, but usually that's, like, in the previous films, that is a um, a move to incapacitate. That's usually not the killing blow. Right. The in leather, the first one, leather was, face the hammer. Uh, in the first one, that was a killing blow. Yeah, but you still saw him twitch a little bit. And then afterwards. the second blow, yeah. Yeah, and then the second blow, but yeah. Um, and the engagement ring never comes up again. No. She, uh, Aaron doesn't find it or find out about it. Nope. That is literally just there for us to know mm-hmm. that he was thinking of be- getting engaged and now we're supposed to feel more for him or something. I mean, he's dead, so it doesn't So kind of a little too late. Yeah, yeah. But so um, Andy has knocked the thing over. He makes all the noise in the world and now it is chainsaw time. And Andrew Beniarski, what did we think of his leather face? Um, well... Because I didn't think about his leather face, really. Not much. Um, really things didn't. that jumped out were uh, when we get the unmasked leather face, uh, which is just leather face uh, missing his nose. Yeah. Um, it's just kind of like a like a hollow rot. Um, He's kind of got like Voldemort. Yeah. Going on there, but like much more like rotten. Like when um, Dan Aykroyd takes his face off in uh, Nothing But Trouble. Okay, yeah. Which, gotcha. uh, yeah. Again, Nothing But Trouble is the parody version of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. Not a fan of it, but I. But anyway, um, yeah, I, I thought he was like just as like ill-defined, but not in an interesting way as yeah. any other character. He's just this is what there. a leather face looks like. This is what a leather face looks like. Like he's gonna have a chainsaw. He's gonna be big. He's gonna swing the chainsaw. There's no personality to it. There's no. He was actually the second choice, too, which is oh, really? funny. Apparently, uh, according to Wikipedia, they had hired a different guy, and uh, he had apparently really embellished how physical he was going to be able to be and was just not pulling it off. Oh. And uh, Bruniarski had been in Pearl Harbor, and he stayed kind of like friendly ish with Michael Bay and mm-hmm. said, like, and when he heard that they were making the movie, he had asked to be in it, and they went with the other guy and he's like hey you still want to do this here's five bucks um like I, he's just there like he he's big enough to be menacing mm-hmm. not really he doesn't really come up with like a fit the physicality for the character he is there to pose he is there to pose yeah. with the chainsaw he's there to swing the chainsaw he's there again for the still shots he's not treated nobody's really treated like a character none of them are characters right but he's very specifically a meat prop he's yeah. just there to basically like hit A to B swing here but there's no sort of 
there's no sort of character and the other movies at least even if it was inconsistent between movies like at number four there was character as, as weak as he was in that one yeah he was still a character yeah. there you could see like okay they're all over the place on what he is but scene to scene you know they're all over the place because you see the inconsistencies yeah they are trying to do something with him in every scene yeah. which is nice and this just puts him up there as a monolith that we're supposed to fear yeah but not but we don't because yeah. he don't doesn't have he doesn't have the charisma of a Jason Voorhees no which is sad and there's again there's no investment in characters that we want to care about and there's no time left to breathe to be scared no so he chases Aaron and Andy out of the house Aaron makes it much farther uh, Andy tries uh, to lose Leatherface and all the hanging uh, laundry and Leatherface with just like the barest of swings lops Andy's leg right off with okay. apparently yeah, this right is the greatest, yeah. yeah this is apparently the greatest chance I ever devised mm-hmm. yeah bone knots don't jam up a chain at all no no no, it's fine it's fine um and so he ends up in the basement and we get the uh we get like we get the hook scene which this is like a tried and true this is one of the bigger tropes of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre the person being put on a meat hook uh in the original one it's very cleverly Hitchcock done Hitchcock style where you never see the person actually put on the hook Mm -hmm. but you feel the person being put on the hook like they're put up there and like it's left as a background thing while they're struggling because other stuff is going on and it's not the most important thing to Leatherface yeah. in that scene. No. He's it's, just, it's just he's just getting this person out of the way, put yeah. him up on a hook because he's got shit to do. Work to do. In this one, it's very fetishized where like we see close-ups of the hook. He like uh, he uh, Andy is lifted and all like he ends up striking the Christ pose Uh but like it's almost like oh my god in this moment and it reminded me so much of the nightmare on elm street movie that platinum dunes made where um i like the minute i knew it was going to be the worst movie ever uh i mean it's not the worst movie it was i knew it was going to be bad was in the trailer where you see the tina character on the bed and immediately starts levitating and it's all slow motion it's like oh man here's that part from that movie from back in the 80s as opposed to how it plays in the original movie which is like holy shit she's floating now what in the she's Mm -hmm. swinging around everything is terrible and she's covered in blood what is going on and it's like you're trying to cash in on this moment without one understanding why that moment was that moment right and two not understanding that it's just it's not about glorifying the original movie yeah it's like it's, that's all you're doing with it I, I don't get it like there's so many shots in uh, that newer Candyman yeah. that reference that pay homage to shots in the original Candyman mm-hmm. but they expand on it they move they do it their own thing they do their own thing they make it yeah. theirs ah. it's there's a difference between Jeff Buckley covering Hallelujah mm. and making it so yeah and it is a great original song but this version is an interpretation of it and there are some changes there are some choices but it is made as opposed to Smash Mouth covering I'm a Believer oh. 
But I'm saying, like... No, no, no. You didn't really add much to it. No, they did not. You just did the song... And you still sound like you sound like Smash Mouth doing this song. Yeah, but there's no sort of reinvention. There's no sort of ownership. May I see you in Rays? Sure. Weezer's Africa. Yeah. People go fall all over themselves, and nine times out of ten, the people talking up that version of Africa, honestly, God, have never heard the original. Yeah, the original is a masterpiece. It is. And Weezer, I like a lot of their stuff, but that kind of orchestration is not in their wheelhouse. You know what they would have done a great job with? They could, if they had covered Rosanna. No. That, no. I, th- I honestly think Rosanna is the more complicated song. Really? Uh, not just because of That's like style changes, key changes. Uh, both of them are long songs, but yeah. Rosanna takes some weird turns through the course of it. What if that was more in their wheelhouse, though? Um, I honestly, I think Rosanna would be the more complicated one, and yeah. I think it'd be outside, like. I don't know who I could who I could think of that could do a proper cover of Rosanna. Yeah. Um, the most interesting one would probably be either getting a Danny Elfman or a Mike Patton to do it, just because they like to diversify their own sound even within a song. Well, that's fair. That's fair. And that's what I feel like is a strength of specifically. Yeah. Yeah. We can all agree. Yeah. Toto. 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 Weezer. Hold the line. Uh, I, I like I, I like a lot I like a lot of Weezer. I don't like Weezer, you know. Mm. I'm just saying oh, as Toto songs. Oh God, yeah, yeah. no, no, they're the line. Da, 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 da. No, I don't know that one. Oh, is it always on time? That's all we can do for the oh, podcast. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah, I got right it. issues. Oh, that's Toto. I didn't. That is that Toto. So. Yeah. Oh, good for them. Yeah. Good for them. Man, fucking Toto. Oh, they're they're amazing. But yeah, so. Also, in the workshop is the disembodied head of Harry Knowles from Ain't It Cool News. <laughs> Which, we're not going to go into any of it. We're just making sure that the people that do uh, will understand it know that it was there. Yeah. If you don't know who he is... Don't worry about it. Yeah. Don't worry about it. There was, This was made in 2003, and there was a time and a place for certain things. But yeah. So Aaron, Aaron makes her way back to uh, the van with Morgan and Pepper, and is desperately trying to get the van to turn on. But for reasons... See, this is... Like, did he also fuck with the engine while they weren't looking? For why, like, it wasn't turning on? I, I mean, I know about it as well as any of us. Yeah, it, it's annoying. So, they're trying to get at... Like, Aaron's trying to get them out of there. Morgan and Pepper are desperately trying to understand what's going on instead of just, you know... Read the fucking room. Yeah. Like, she has gone to this place with two dudes. She has come back twice with no dudes. Yeah. Let's get the hell out of here. Mm-hmm. Um, and Arlie Ermey shows back up. And and then we realize that this movie is a lot closer to a precursor to torture porn than we had thought. Mm-hmm. It's like 10, 15 minutes of Arlie Ermey just playing mind games with these guys really miserable miserable mind games with guns Mm -hmm. and also everybody ends up slobbering in this movie drool constant drool yeah by like our main characters not by like the cannibalistic rednecks yeah although Ermi does spit a lot he he, spits his chaw yeah he's got a lot of chaw and it ugh yeah there's there's this movie is very very wet 
in yeah. the middle of a desert. There's yeah, water dripping all through everywhere. Mm-hmm. There's constant drool, and we'll get to another factor of it. Yeah. I feel like that's one of the last points we'll make. And so early early like pulls them all out of the truck when or the van rather when he realizes that there's reefer in the ashtray and he pulls out all their licenses and that's when we find out that at least these three characters Aaron, Pepper, and Morgan are from Arizona, Colorado and New York State how do these people know each other? Not a clue. I don't like I, I don't understand never established it. never cemented um all it does is justify their weak chemistry yeah it, but like and if that were on purpose that would have been amazing but you know it wasn't no um I, I had a suspicion that Morgan was from New York because his shirt said New York we don't even know if it was his that's a good point well it was what if it was Pepper she was the one hitchhiking this is true like ugh. anyway um so yeah, Morgan gets uh, with, with some of the gun games. Morgan's told to put the gun in his mouth, uh, much like the girl had done. Yeah, recreate. Uh, to basically recreate it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and also put your hand in the goo that's still on the uh, the, the the back seat. And uh, meanwhile, the two girls are just out with their faces literally in the dirt, waiting to be told how they're going to die. I guess yeah. like they're not well, they're not ganging up on this guy. They eventually stand up and start arguing good cop, bad cop of shoot him, don't shoot him, shoot him, don't shoot him, just yeah. kill him, go to And I mean, he's in earshot, both of them are, yeah. so, but yeah. Um, then it turns out the gun wasn't loaded. Or it was at, like, it was, yeah, it yeah. wasn't loaded. It wasn't. Because this movie contains no surprises. <sighs> yeah, and so. Harley Ermey drives away with Morgan, who is now officially under arrest and, you know, just getting pel- belted in the face with liquor bottles. And, yeah. Again, it's a lot of torture for mm-hmm. this character. And uh, meanwhile, the girls succeed in uh, hot-wiring the car. Because she for, was in juvie. Because she was in juvie. Only for both, both, both front wheels to come right off. Yeah. As we mentioned earlier. Yeah. yeah. Chekhov's uh, criticism. I, I was waiting for the audience to remember. <laughs> I know they're taking uh, very good notes. Mm-hmm. And then Leatherface shows back, shows up, which uh, Arlie Ermey had called him and told uh, on the CB and told him to show up and get the girls. And uh, he gets one of them. We get Pepper. Yeah. Because um, Pepper wasn't going to make it through this. Pepper wasn't going to make it. Um, She's a hitchhiking harlot. She gets clipped in the back um, through... She's put on this down coat. Yeah. In In the middle of this sweltering hot summer in Texas where everybody has been sweating, sweating, sweating in this very wet, humid movie. But after the sun goes down, it gets so cold. For one character who puts on a down jacket for the exact purpose of getting clipped in the back so you see feathers go up and Mm -hmm. then she's on the ground and you see feathers shooting up. Yeah. Um, no gore, just, no. I mean, you know, it's, wouldn't it look cool if, well, I guess she could put on a coat. I know. It, it's, it's so stupid. It's, it's like, look, there are more artful ways to hide makeup effects than stuff right. like this. I literally think it was, I bet it would look cool if feathers were shooting out when, like, mm. this would be an interesting looking shot. Well, how do we do that? Fair. Well, she'll put on a jacket now. 
Why? Don't know. It'll look cool. Because Jessica Biel is in jeans and a tank top throughout the entire film and, you know, Mm -hmm. is never cold. Uh, Meanwhile, like Aaron is running away, of course, and uh, takes one last look. And one of the better gags was uh, Leatherface looks up from Pepper and he's wearing Kemper's face. Aaron's uh, departed boyfriend. Yeah, which it takes... It took me a moment to recognize that's what it was uh, because... Sadly, he looked a little bit like a really bad uh, Don Post mask of um, Captain Lou Albano as Mario from the Super Ooh. Mario Brothers show. It was, it's the, he has this weak, Eric Balfour has this weak facial hair throughout the entire yeah. film. Like Jessica Beale's facial hair looks a lot more realistic in this movie. Yes, it'll <laughs> So she's running back and forth between, like, the three locations. Oh, no, she runs to uh, a trailer, like, a, mm-hmm. a, tra- like a, a, mo- a mobile home. An RV, recreational vehicle. Recreational vehicle. And uh, for some reason does not immediately clock that these people obviously would still be in it. It's, uh, because literally everyone else you've met so far is a yeah, part of this. If, if it's within running distance, these people all know each other. It's bad. No surprises. No. And this is where we uh, see that they have the baby from the pictures from earlier. And uh, Aaron gets drugged, but as she's, you know, falling into her stupor, she gets very outraged that that is not your baby. It's like, it's not yours either. Yeah. Now, you may ask, how was she drugged? Well, when she walked into this trailer and was trusting these people who were already saying shady shit and offered her a teacup pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they had the drugs ready or not, but they, they offer her. A teacup that we highlight over and over again, shot to shot. The tea was drugged. The tea was drugged? The tea... And this doesn't happen a lot in movies. Mm-hmm. Was drugged. What? She realizes this oh, as no. she's stumbling back and forth, recognizing that they may be up to no good. <sighs> There's like 40 minutes left in this movie. We're going to speed through a lot of it, though, because yeah. I will say, like... It picks up after this? Well... It moves there like- is a, there is a chunk and we'll, there's a little bit before it, but I'll just cover right now. There is a chunk where Aaron is running from Leatherface, where she gets out of a situation, gets just far enough to hit another door, fence, wall, door, um, obstacle. But she'll get to an obstacle, struggle with it long enough for Leatherface to almost catch up to her get right up to it and then she makes it past and he stumbles staggers hits it um i stopped counting at seven of these in a row nice but it's, like, it's almost a fucking as a, row it's like he is the teenage victim tripping over his own feet pretty much yeah uh, it's at one point he even they homage the original film the ending where Leatherface uh, accidentally cuts into his upper thigh with the uh, the chainsaw. That happens here when he gets uh, tripped up over some uh, barbed wire fencing. You'll forget about it though because he does not limp at all for the rest of the movie. Despite oh, yeah, you know, fine. like we're talking like main tendons and stuff mm-hmm. getting severed here. Yeah, that's before they get to the actual um, butcheratorium. 
Yes, I forget that's, on the, that's on the, on the yeah. way to the Blair Meatpacking yeah. plant. Third, I'm going to say... It's named Blair. Oh, shit. It's, I they just worked up on that. That yep. it was named Blair. Motherfucker. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Yeah, this movie really was Ugh. trying to lean as much as they could into Blair Witch. At least in some draft of it, there were notes, we want to Blair Witch this. Yeah. Because that made a lot of money. It did. This was 2003, Blair Witch, uh, four years prior. Uh, yeah, I, I was about to say, like, the shine hadn't worn off. It's like, actually, no, I'm the only person on the planet that doesn't really love that movie. So it's like, yeah, no, of course we're going Blair Witch. Hmm. I mean, they, again, even cast somebody from the sequel in this. Yeah. And that would have hit by then, yeah. Um, even though that one took some of the shine off of the uh, marketability. Well, but... Yeah, I liked it. I liked the. There's a fan edit of the director's cut. Even if I like that better than the theatrical, but I know there is still the original Joe Berlinger cut that apparently a friend of mine saw it at a test screening and said it was great. And then we went and saw the Blair Witch Two opening weekend, and he's like, "That is absolutely not the movie I saw a month ago." He's like, "That was a bad movie." I'm sorry to hype up. I hyped up what I saw. That's fair. Yeah. I, you know, regardless of cut, I give that movie, the the sequel, a lot of credit for, no, we're going to do something different. Like, yeah, you absolutely. can't recreate that first movie, so we're not even going to try to do that. Yeah. But let, let's go off and do our own thing and be as interesting as we can. Yeah. And they do. Yeah. Which, good for them. Yeah. And I even say the uh, the third one, the Adam Weingard one, I thought that was very effective and creative. Nah. Haven't gotten around to it. Gotcha. It's... I don't like the Blair Witch. Right. But you like Adam Weingard. <laughs> I thought you did. What else has he done? The name is familiar. Uh, you're sure. next. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I do like Adam Weingard. Yeah, all right, all right. At some point. Um, but anyway, so... And, uh, Kong versus Godzilla, I believe. Really? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Okay, well then. Yeah, I definitely like him. Yep. So we skipped over a bit where Aaron is being... She's in the house with all of them after she's drugged. It's like Arlie Army's there, wheelchair guy's there, Leatherface is cowering in a corner, and the two women from the trailer park are there. And they're kind of, sort of trying to torture her. They're like, they're really like just kind of poking at her. Yeah. It's not the dinner scene. No. And then they throw her in the basement, and she mercy kills Andy, who has been repeatedly trying to get himself off the hook. And I, I will acknowledge, every time he falls back on the hook that hurts yeah like, that sucks um but for wouldn't it be cool ifs um there's a piano under him an upright yeah and his remaining foot um keeps just tapping on the toe on the uh, keys and making just little blink 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 yeah which could be an awesome thing in a better movie that actually did something with it. It eventually turns into the Ennio Morricone Doom piano music from yeah. uh, Kill Bill Volume 2. There you go. Wouldn't that have been something? Yeah. That would have been hilarious. Be a good way to but, go out if nothing else. So after... Uh, after the Andy, th- after she mercy kills Andy, Leatherface starts chasing her in the basement, and she gets out of the basement, and then and gets running, the, running, running to the uh, the meatpacking plant. Yeah, again, like many stops along the way. Um, fence. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Um, she gets to the Blair Meat Company, um, and then she hides in a locker. Like after, well, she's hiding amongst the meat. 
yeah. for a chunk of She's it. She's in the meat locker for a minute yeah. with the beeves. But gets uh, gets away with enough of a lead time to hide in a locker. Gra- having grabbed a butcher knife mm-hmm. and started walking towards a conveniently placed cage of pigs. Yeah. And so then she hides in the locker. And then Leatherface walks past her. Gets, like, pretty far away, and then mm-hmm. she starts making noise to bring him back. Yeah. You hear, like, he's yeah, he's far enough away that he won't be able to tell exactly what locker. Yeah. Hey, bet you know where this is going. Um, then you keep seeing him inspecting a locker that we're highlighting. And then you keep seeing her POV. Um kind of bullshit frames to imply that she's on that side but I they're cheating they're cheating um when you see outside of the locker like when she's looking through the slats the movement is just blurred enough because he opens the locker it's the pigs no surprises no no it's the pigs um she opens the locker on the other side and starts hitting him with the cleaver gets him a good four or five whacks in the same spot on his arm causing his entire right arm to fall off Mm -hmm. like completely fall off still holding the chainsaw which is now like idling and swirling around in a circle dragging the arm with it yes which in another movie could have been a really fun gag yeah and like credit where credit's due Jessica Biel's arm upper body looks pretty strong in this movie but you're cutting through bone like like Leatherface wouldn't have gotten out of the way Mm -hmm. like within the fourth or fifth shot so that she's not really connecting as hard Mm -hmm. or flailed instinctively with with a chainsaw chainsaw. yeah also uh, prior to this scene when uh, she after she had gotten out of the meat locker um Leatherface, for some reason, turned on the sprinklers. Mm -hmm. Uh, We bring this up because uh, first we get the sprinklers, then the locker room thing. Initially, uh, when she's with the family, they throw her down the basement. She rolls down the stairs into a puddle in the basement. Yep, 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 she does. Then, like, all of these chases through wet basements, through water raining down from upstairs when she has to kill Andy. Yep. She's being soaked the whole time. She is wearing 70s-esque jeans that have the very low cutoff right at the, like, right mid-hip. Yep. Hip and hunters. she's wearing a white tank top. A white tank top. That she has buttoned and, or, like, tied up and knotted off yeah. mid-riff. Yeah. So, completely exposed abs the whole time. And it if never... you're familiar with Jessica Biel... She's buxom. She is uh, um, a little top heavy. Yeah. In a good way. And with all of this water raining on yep. her, falling into puddles. Being in a freezer. Being in a freezer after running through mm-hmm. sprinklers being on through the packing plant. This tank top must have been made of triple thick sweatpants. Yes. It, it's lead lined. Uh, it's a lead lined tank top. Yeah. It's absurd. And we're saying this because. We are scum. We are the scumbags in this scenario. No, no. The scumbags are the filmmakers <laughs> knew we're going to put Jessica Biel, who is famous for, in part, yeah, she she was famous for her body, yeah, 
and we're going to put her in a white tank top and we're going to show all of these places where she's getting soaked. soaked. We are telling you this is a wet t-shirt contest. Yeah. We're running her through ice and we're not doing any of it. Nope. They knew that they were setting the audience up to want that. They were like, even if you, even if you're not into her, even if you're into whatever, yeah. you're just like, come on. It just bullshit. doesn't make any physical sense yeah. at this point. Like, and why would you have her run this gauntlet? He turns the sprinkler on. There For no, no reason. Nothing was There's on no fire. fire. They're literally doing all of these things yeah. specifically because she's in a white tank top. Yeah. Knowing that they're just doing it. To make you think about it, possibly because she probably had a no nudity clause. Which is perfectly fine. Right. But if she's not going to show anything, we need to make the just, audience just, put, just want it as bad as they just possibly Just put her can. in flannel or something. Yeah. Or a not, or, or like a tank top that is like black or like has a color to it or something. But I'm getting, like 90% of this movie. If it's not being shot for oh what's the what's the interesting angle for a still yeah. is trying to make Jessica Biel look oh, as yeah. good as possible, oh, yeah. which it does. She it is, does. She is lovely through. Yeah, this the camera and the director, yeah, the DP love her in this. Yeah. But you are doing it intentionally as a bullshit tease. Agree. The entire fucking movie. Yeah. And also we're gross. <laughs> I still say they're the gross ones because they came up with every possible way yeah. to put it in front of you. Uh, like if uh, I could watch the movie uh, Big Night and I'd be hungry afterwards because yeah. they show you so much delicious looking food the entire movie. And yeah, I don't get move I don't get food out of the movie. I don't like yeah. reach into the screen and pull out a, a delicious dish. But they're showing it to you the whole okay. time on purpose mm-hmm. to get that reaction. Yeah. They, this movie was doing that they because they had a clause they couldn't work around with one yeah. of their actresses. And then she gets out of the meat packing plant and it's a torrential downpour. Just in case you didn't feel angry enough as it was. Mm-hmm. There's a reason we waited till now to bring it up because, oh yeah, they keep going with it. Yeah, and also we wanted you to be too far invested into the episode to just turn us off because we're gross. Torrential downpour. For the entire rest of the film. Yeah. Um, like like Morgan Freeman and Christian Slater on a heist. Torrential we're downpour. We're, we're talking Andy Dufresne just got out of Shawshank and the, you know... God wanted him to shower as well. Yeah. <laughs> what else? What other movies had like a good? Oh, it's a uh, Tom Hanks has to kill Paul Newman. Torrential downpour. Oh, good, <laughs> good call, good Thank call. You. Nice. <laughs> um, so good. Uh, no, that scene. Actually, Road to Perdition's not that particularly good a movie either. It's alright. Any Sam Mendes movie is good to watch. Like yeah, it's visually, a But I don't think there's enough story in that movie. Mm. And Tom Hanks doesn't really do anything interesting. Mm. And it's not, like, he is in every shot. I think one thing that's funny about it is it's based on a graphic novel by Max Allen Collins mm-hmm. uh, who did not do the screenplay. No, it's drastically different. Right. But... The novelization of that screenplay. It's mm-hmm. my back comments. Oh, that's awesome. So he guy did he did a novel adaptation of somebody else's script of his comic of his comic book. book. I love that. It's so weird. You know, in a world of uh, 
that has all of these comic book adaptations. Don't you find it a little, you know, heartening that they're not one but two Paradox Press movies? Uh, at least two that I that like. Uh, there's this History of Violence and History oh, yeah. of Violence. I thought it was Paradox. Uh, History of Violence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was... Uh, yeah, Road to Perdition and History of Violence. Huh. And that one was also drastically changed from yeah. a comic to a movie. But yeah. you know, History of Violence is one of the best movies ever. But DC movies suck. I mean, <laughs> when, I when, when you let it. when yeah. you let Zack Snyder be in charge of them, yeah. We get it. You hate Zack Snyder. I do. I do hate Zack Snyder. I, can we talk about how much I hate Zack Snyder? <laughs> we'll do a bonus episode at some point where we just get both of our mega rants out. That's fair. Yeah. That's completely fair. Um, so, so, Jessica Beale waves down a truck. And we get, like, in a better movie, this would have hit better where... Um, she is now in the state that Lauren German, the uh, the hitchhiker at the beginning, was in the film. Like, she's getting picked up. She's like, I don't want to go back. She's echoing the lines that mm-hmm. Lauren German said. But the uh, the pickup truck, or the truck driver is having none of it and drives her to the gas station, diner, all-purpose building where all of the Hewitts are. Yeah, they have all conveniently relocated for reasons with the baby to the, the baby. Uh, to the gas station or just kind of hanging out there um the truck driver gets out of the truck goes into the place and is basically oh there's this girl she's crazy came out of nowhere and and they they scramble to go out um and then turn around and realize the baby's gone (gasps) the dingo ate the baby Mm mm-hmm so baby's missing so they go out and leather or no um ermy yeah uh has his gun out junior junior um and he's sneaking up on the truck and then we get close-up shots of Aaron trying to hotwire. And then Ermie's coming around the front of the truck and looking in the windshield. And then she's trying to hotwire. And then he gets to the door and opens the truck door up for the exact same gag we had five minutes ago. She's not in the truck. She's somewhere else. She's in his car. She hotwired the police car and runs him over. Yeah, he didn't hear a 70s car coming near coming towards him yeah in, um in the he didn't yeah. i mean he wasn't there for the other scenes so i can pass on him not recognizing they literally did the same gag five minutes ago yeah but he should have heard the car he should have heard the car like even she doesn't have the lights on i give her i gave her credit for not turning the headlights on yeah you know to do the sneaky sneaky but and it's too early for runners on car. yeah yeah uh and also to her credit she runs him over and then backs up over him and then runs over him again and then yeah. backups over him a couple of times because you know yeah. kill him yeah it also kind of a nod to part three uh yes yeah uh, Maybe, well I know it could be a nod to part it, three I'm not giving it them credit it could be a nod to part three that's fair I was thinking it was probably more a nod to Jeepers Creepers at this point you know what it's probably a nod to Jeepers Creepers because this was living in recent trope uh, yeah, yeah, it was like a couple of years after the first Jeepers Creepers film. Mm-hmm. Um, so Aaron drives off, and lo and behold, she stole the baby, and uh, she and the baby will be safe, except, oh, here's Leatherface, who's, you know, 
haphazardly throwing the chainsaw at the truck, and now she's gotten away. With or without his both arms, it was kind of unclear. It kind of did look like he was holding it with his right arm. Like, it looked like it was waving around on his right side, which is like, the what? Um... And then uh, she drives off and was close up of Leatherface, angry, ang- like looking angry, and mm. it's like, oh. And then we get back to the bookend, the uh, the found footage thing. And uh, the guy who is uh, taking a tour of the basement uh, is uh, wading through the water because the water is all still there. But also, Leatherface is still there. And it, honest to God, like you get a, a few shots of Leatherface like going after the guy. And then he and the camera fall, and he is in like laying on the ground in frame in front of the camera, just like the end of the Blair Witch Project. Yep. Player Witch reference number four. Oof. Um, and that's the only footage ever captured of Thomas Hewitt. A.K.A. A- Leatherface. Yeah. A mystery that has remained unsolved for 30 years now, so I'm not really expecting much out of it. The unsolved um, mysteries music kicks in. Yeah. Uh, Wouldn't that that have been the most amazing way to end that movie if then there's Robert Stack and then it cuts the... uh, I would have forgiven so much of this movie. For real. Like, yeah. Like, I I watched this... Okay, spoiler... No, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to talk about it. I'll tell you later. Okay. Um, So, body count totals real quick. And I also should go back and cover last week's because I didn't. So, five teenagers if we include the hitchhiker. Uh, four teenagers. No, if we include the hitchhiker, including the hitchhiker, it is five. I, um, I counted four, hit four of them killed by the villains. Yep. One of them killed by our our heroine, who also killed a villain. So she kills two people. Mm -hmm. The bad guys kill four, but one of the ones she killed was a good guy. Yeah. So five good guys and one bad guy die, but a shift on the morality of it. Mm -hmm. Um. So. A, a little above average on the body counts and last one um, it was three good guys one bad guy died I just wanted to make sure to cover it because I didn't say it on air um, if you care about how that all plays out I'm sure it's, we, we went over it uh, but yeah um, part four I think had the lowest body count of all of them so far with only four deaths total highest body count is still number two in terms of good guys no just in in general part four only had four deaths it's uh three teenagers if we assume Barry died um I I think I went for confirm okay fair enough yeah but either way it was you know um Four had four die, one had five die total of characters. Yeah. Three had six, uh, but two is still the runaway champ with nine. Three was? Uh, two. Two. Part two that has nine mean. deaths. Um, and again, all of these do not include found bodies. And yeah, yeah this is like character death. Well, so that mercifully is the end of that one. Yeah, Man, that's a bummer. That was that was that, that was the week. There was definitely the weakest one so far. Absolutely, like the first four. Even if they're not like like next generation is so interestingly bad. Yeah, that, like, it's I it's entertaining it. bad. Like uh, and three, which um, 
Honestly, three looks so much better now in retrospect, where it's just like yeah. you can talk about like this is like three felt like a movie like where we're trying to like restart the front or like do our first entry into the franchise, but we mainly want to make sure that we keep the rights and everything, and so we're doing it, but we're you know yeah. we don't really have a, an idea to do this movie, but it was still interesting to watch. Yeah. And, you know, there are characters that you cared about and mm-hmm. lots of gore and Vigo Mortensen's hair. Uh, whereas this one, it is so just by the numbers. And it is boring. just bland. Yeah. Oh, and everything was in this weird... Like, every shot is through some sort of color filter. There's... Okay, so oh, that was... I had notes on that. Yeah, there's not just a color filter, like, basically desaturating everything. Mm-hmm. But this was one of the first examples I remember seeing where they were filming with uh, HDR, high dynamic range, which um, photography technique that started picking up on digital cameras more so than... <coughs> It's a function where it essentially takes a picture simultaneously at two exposures. Okay. So one darker, one brighter, so that you can in post take the darkest areas and then and take the lightest areas and basically have a curve between them in the settings so if you want to really push the shadows, you can. If you really want to push the highlights, you can. But it's kind of a backup plan. Kind of like when we record these podcasts, I record at two audio levels. So if we get too quiet, I can go to a louder track and use that. But if we get too loud and peak out, I can use the quieter track and kind of blend them. Mm-hmm. Get If one side of it's losing information, the other will actually be in the sweet spot. That's what HDR does for light. But people, instead of using it for its versatility in being able to do post, just shoot it that way and then just say, okay, the bright stuff's super bright, the dark stuff's super dark, and lose all the nuance between. And it, it gives it a very specific look that is this entire movie. That, and yeah. it's, a, it's a gimmick. Um, it it doesn't look good. Um, there are ways to use it nicely um, and effectively, but using it for the entire movie was just here's a new toy. Yeah, yeah. So in the following year, two thousand four, we have. I mean, it's every type of horror movie. <laughs> like you're you're just naked cash grabs. Your uninspired sequels. Uh, your high endy stuff, but then also like some really like important stuff starts happening. So we get the uh, we got Van Helsing was two thousand four. So we're also we're seeing the studios definitely yeah. trying to cash in and not understand it. But we have a uh, Toby Hooper's tool- Toolbox Murders, Ooh, which is a yeah. pretty good movie, all things considered. But very very underseen. Oh yeah, nobody saw. It. But it's part of like whenever I watch uh, May, I always have to watch like two other Angela Bennett things and they have the masters of horror uh with her and lucky mckee and also the toolbox murders because it's like man angela bettis is gonna be so good and her um we had mentioned yeah uh 2002 was her tv movie carrie and also yeah that i don't have i don't think i have that but uh yeah uh, we had shawn of the dead happens 
Which, Shaun of the Dead is obviously a massive yeah. fence post for horror. Yeah. Uh, Seed of Chucky. Saw. The first Saw movie is the year after. First Saw movie launching again. The, the torture the, porn. The torture porn. Um, Seed of Chucky, the last theatrical child's play. Yeah. I saw that in the theater. That was oh, a good same. time. Yeah. Like that was actually that's the first and last Chucky movie I ever saw in the theater. Oh. Bummer. Well, I was scared of movie, horror movies as a kid. And uh, so uh, I probably could have saw Bride of Chucky, but at that point it was like, it was such an untested idea that it was like, I'm not going to waste money on this thing that's going to be stupid. And also, number three wasn't particularly no. great. Three was the first Child's Play I saw in a theater, mm-hmm. and it's it's still by far my least favorite of them. Even then, I still like it. Yeah, no, but it, I it were, like it. it. I, I've come to like it more in but retrospect. Yeah. Uh, the, no, the second Resident Evil, uh, Puppet Master versus Demonic Toys. And and Alien versus Predator. And Alien versus Predator. We're, we're getting our verses now. Well, actually, oh, and pre- Van Helsing is a monster team up. Yeah. We're doing well, a lot the, of monster mashups. Well, that was the the previous year, two thousand three, was uh, Freddy versus Jason. So, oh, uh, so that, monster mashups, yeah, exactly. Um, because people don't want to give credit to how good Freddy vs. Jason actually is. It's an itchy and scratchy cartoon, so and I good. say that very... Guillermo del Toro gave us Hellboy, mm. the first horror, or no, the second horror movie comic book franchise. Or no, third, because Spawn. But Spawn didn't well, there's Spawn, there's Blade, which we got Blade. Well, Blade was definitely, like, uh, was definitely thinking like Blade, but yeah, Spawn was the second one that's of a horror movie bent. Yeah. But then Hellboy. Um, you get... I mean, I know it's... It's an outlier for them, and it doesn't really fit our state of horror mm-hmm. thing, but Club Dread was 2004. So good. It's so good. It was, if you haven't seen it, or even if you have, make sure you see the director's cut. It's, but, a, it's a little bit better. Yeah. Also, uh, the first of let, two Exorcist 4s. Oh, yeah. And uh, because we never pass up a... Uh, Chance to promote Maryland horror movies, Fear of Clowns by Kevin Kangas. Oh, uh, yep, yep, yep. Uh, yeah. But yeah, like, um, horror, there was just, no identity to horror. horror. It's done. It's, Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. You have, you have big budget remakes, that, you have franchises. Like a pretty person remake movie? That one seemed a bit more, to have a bit more going on for it. It was James Gunn on script. Yeah. Oh, actually, same year. James Gunn on that and on Scooby Two, Two Monsters Unleashed. Mm. Um, Oof, Blade Three. Ooh, featuring Jessica Biel and Ryan Reynolds. So it would later be in the Amityville remake. God damn it! Oh yeah, Blade Three. So anyway, yeah, there's horror was all over the place in 2004, and in good ways and bad. Yeah, there's some there's some solid stuff in there. There's some big bold ones like Seed of Chucky, um, just doing crazy shit. Shaun of the Dead. Shaun of the Dead, obviously Jesus, a massive groundbreaker, and I'm just on uh, shameless promote self promotion. 2004 was Chainsaw Sally. Oh, nice. So, Chainsaw Sally is um, it's the brainchild of my friends uh, Jimmy O and April. And they wanted to create a character that was kind of an anti-hero. Like, mm-hmm. basically, sort of a horror Batman type. So, um, it's like the Chainsaw Vigilante? Kind of, yeah. Huh. But um, Sally 
her name obviously referencing the original and as Sally's father in the movie in flashback scenes was Gunnar Hansen. Oh, nice. Yeah, so uh, I actually got to work with Gunnar Hansen and meet oh, him so cool. and introduce him to gravy fries. He had never had them before, apparently. So. I introduced them to somebody when I was in college and they were like shocked. I'm like, no, it's yeah. the greatest oh, thing. They're, they're fantastic. And I, of course, got that from Diner. Yeah, the yeah. movie done. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, we just, just grew that's up Baltimore. Baltimore. Which might be why I had a heart attack. That's why, yeah. you know. Yeah. It's called living well. Yeah. We would like you to live longer. Right, but I mean, without gravy fries, I'm just going to have to figure out how to do this. It's sort of like when you find out that the mailman's not been giving you the mail because of all the tacos, and you really just want the tacos. I'll show you the clip later. Anyway, but yeah, so Chainsaw Sally, um, and sh- shameless self-promotion, but uh, it's been hopping around on different streaming. Uh, there is the movie from 2004. Then we did uh, two seasons online of a series, and with each one, we had a little bit less money to work with, but we had a whole lot more uh, equipment and skills and chemistry, and so I... Honestly, I think by the time we did the second season of the show, um, it's some of the most beautiful stuff that we had shot. Um, we had a lot of fun on it. We were get like we were really pushing a lot of our creative side, mm-hmm. and so check those out. Uh, awesome. Yeah, they're available. I think some of them are on. Some of it's on Tubi. I think some of it's on the Troma Now mm-hmm. um, app. But yeah, cool. So next week. We have uh, 2006, three years later, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, colon, the beginning, the prequel to this movie. Mm-hmm. And This if, is my excitement voice. Yep. And if I remember right, uh, because of weird rights and logistics or something, it's arguably a, a prequel to the one we just watched. And the original, sort of, kind of, both. I don't know exactly. I mean, this is a remake, so it's set in 73, so it's the same story. It's not like it was modernized. But I've seen where this one is credited as being a prequel to the original just as much as the one we just watched. Um, I would wonder who is making that claim. Yeah, and if they're as full of shit as... Exactly. It's just yeah. like, you know, it it's also works for the original, so please love us more. Mm-hmm. And it won't be the first prequel we get to watch on it. Or no, it will be the first prequel we watch. It won't be the last. <laughs> I don't know. It's prequels. They get timey-wimey. I'm confused. But yeah, so, yeah. This is the remake. This has been the remake of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Resale value for me is pretty goddamn low. Yep. But until next week, get out. If you want to interact with us online, you can check us out on Instagram or Twitter at Amityville Show, or you can send us an email at podcastamityville at gmail.com. 